Thank you for joining us for another life-giving message from Converge Church, now in progress. I'll pick up where you left off. Uh, We're in uh, chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, and the scripture says, After these things, King Xerxes promoted Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite. Somebody say Blue's Clue. There is a Blue's Clue to the text, and, and I'll explain what that means here shortly. So uh, Haman, the Agagite, uh, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes who were with him. So he has this, uh, this distinct position, uh, this place of authority and great power, great influence in the kingdom. In fact, he is second only to Xerxes himself. Uh, now, this is significant because Xerxes' kingdom uh, uh, spans 127 provinces from Ethiopia to India. Now, Haman is promoted. He's second in charge, and he is an Agagite. This will make sense here shortly. Verse 2 continues, And all the king's servants who were within the king's gates bowed and paid homage to Haman, for so the king had commanded concerning him. So everywhere Haman went, people were expected, even better, they were commanded to bow. Now verse 3 continues with these words, Then the king's servants, I'm sorry, but Mordecai, would not bow or pay homage. Then the king's servants who were within the king's gate said to Mordecai, why do you transgress the king's command? Hey, bro, what you doing, man? Don't you realize that what you're doing is a, a direct affront to what Xerxes himself has commanded and instructed? Why are you tripping? Everybody else bows to Haman when he walks by. Why won't you bow? You're making us all look bad. So it continues, the text continues, and it says, Now it happened when they spoke to him daily, and he would not listen to them that they told it to Haman to see whether Mordecai's words would stand, for Mordecai had told them that he was a Jew. Here's the backstory: story. Uh, the word Agagite is used interchangeably with Amalekites. What that means is that Haman was a sworn enemy of the Jews. He just didn't realize that Mordecai was a Jew. Mordecai wouldn't bow to to Haman because of their history. Now, can I just say this for a second? Critically important. The history of the Agagites and the Jews goes all the way back to one king named Saul. It's important for you to understand the backstory. All right, because this is what we've talked about. We've talked about our marinade. Everybody in this room has their own unique marinade you've been sitting in. It's your backstory. It's your history. And we said there are four ingredients that all of us have in our marinade. Number one, our environment. The environment into which you were born, the environment where you were formed. The second thing we bring to the table, all of us, right? All of us bring our exposure because your environment will determine what you are exposed to, good or bad. Parents who are loving or parents who are distant. Listen, let me, let me just qualify this. Your marinade is whatever you have chosen to normalize in your life and your relationships. 
and what's normal to you may not be normal to everybody else. Are y'all listening to me? That's why it's possible to fall in love with somebody, and after y'all get married, you start dealing with the marinade, and you start saying, how come you put that in your marinade? Are y'all with me? So what we, uh, our environment determines what we're exposed to. What we're exposed to determines our experiences, good or bad, and our experiences then determine our expectations. You've heard me say that once. You've heard me say it a thousand times. It's important to understand the backstory because God gives King Saul an instruction. He says, kill every single Amalekite. Don't leave not a one of them. Kill them now and make sure the job is done. Now Saul, instead of obeying God's instruction, rationalized God's instruction. Now how many of us are guilty of rationalizing what God told us to do? Everybody in this room, every hand should go up. So instead of doing what God instructed him to do, he did what every other conquering king did. And that was they would preserve the life of the king, strip them naked, and parade them in front of everybody. It was one of their trophies of war. If I was a conquering king, I wouldn't kill their their king, the king that had been conquered immediately. I would shame him and humiliate him by marching him through the streets of the city, specifically the city that I had vanquished and conquered, to shame the king before I killed the king. Now, in disobeying God, he left some of the people. Fast forward, some of the people included Haman and his forefathers. Listen to me. What you... What you tolerate, you cannot change. So don't complain about what you've allowed. The thing that has become a thorn in your flesh is a direct result of something you have created or something you have allowed. Are y'all listening to what I'm saying? And because Saul would not obey God, several generations later, his people are about to pay the consequence for his disobedience. I want want to make sure you hear this, that your disobedience to God's instruction will outlive and outlast you. Your disobedience to God now is not just about you. It's about the generations that will follow. Likewise, your obedience to God now will bring blessing and favor and honor to your children's children. So the fact that Mordecai refuses to bow to Haman is not about Mordecai just wanting to push back. Mordecai is saying, this guy's an Amalekite and I am a Jew. Are y'all, are y'all listening to me? Now, there's a problem with what's going on in the text. Because even as I'm reading the text, I see a consistent pattern in the kingdom that Xerxes is leading. And it is a culture problem. Because it seems like just about every character in the story is all about running and telling that. Now, they had this conversation with with Mordecai and said, Mordecai, you ain't bound to the man. 
at what point was it necessary for them to go and tell Haman, hey man, there's a guy out here who won't bow to you. Was that their place or their prerogative to do that? So Haman hears this, and notice what the scripture says. I'm going somewhere with this. I want you to stay because I want you to frame everything that Pastor Wendy and I share and put it in the context of your own life personally and how you manage your interpersonal relationships. You, at some point in your life, will encounter a Haman. You, at some point in your life, will encounter a Haman. Uh, can I just tell you the, the problem? In fact, let me just read the next verse and then we'll dive into, into Haman's problem. It says, now it happened when they spoke to him daily and he would not listen to them that they told it to Haman to see whether Mordecai would stand. For Mordecai had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow or pay homage, Haman was filled with wrath. He just wasn't a little bit upset. He was filled with wrath, meaning he was filled with rage. Now, uh, whew, I, I, let me, let me, but he disdained, listen to this, verse six, but he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. Is it not good enough for me to deal with only Mordecai? This is what I'm going to do. Listen to this. Instead, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews who were throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes, the people of Mordecai. I'm talking about dealing with your own Haman. Listen to me. When people can't deal in a healthy way with their own interaction with themselves, they will make it about everybody else. Listen to me. Haman's problem was his, here it is, insecurity. And you've heard me say it here before, that pride is just insecurity playing dress up. Haman's problem is rooted in insecurity. It looks like pride where when I walk by, walk by, everybody's supposed to bow to me. But it's just his insecurity playing dress up. It is the great danger of power and authority because power doesn't change who you are. It just reveals who you've always been. It doesn't only reveal who you've always been. It magnifies and amplifies who you've always been. So this isn't Haman changing. It's just Haman's character being revealed because now he stands and in a place of authority and sits in the seat of power. And Mordecai said, I ain't going to bow to you. And let me tell you the problem. Let me tell you the problem. Haman's problem was how he interacted with himself. Most people who are insecure make the problem about everybody else. But the problem is how you are interacting with your own self. How you see yourself. And how you begin, oh I love this, it's the stories you tell. 
yourself about everybody else. Now, the problem with insecurity is simply this. Everybody else was bowing to him. Why the fixation with one man? I'm talking to the insecure people in this room right now. The insecure people in this room right now. And all insecurity finds its origin in how we see ourselves. How we see ourselves. And that's why in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, this is what the scripture says. Let no man, no woman think of himself, herself more highly than they ought. That's the problem with insecurity. Now, can I just start with, the, with this first thing? You're insecure because you have convinced yourself that people are thinking things about you and saying things about you that ain't even true. You not that important. Ain't nobody thinking about you 24-7. And because people do not have a healthy estimation of who they are, they begin to impose, what's the word? Not the word. What's that word people use? Project what they're thinking on everybody else. And the problem is you have an unhealthy relationship with yourself. You're thinking of yourself more highly than you ought. Now, Romans 12.3 doesn't say you should think of yourself less than you ought. It says, let him think of himself soberly, soberly, according to the measure of faith which everyone has been dealt. You know what that means? It says it means you will never truly appreciate or embrace who you really are looking in the wrong mirrors. The problem is most of us live our life at the county fair. And we go into the room with all the distorted mirrors. And because we look into the wrong mirror, that mirror we look into will either give us an inflated sense of self or a deflated sense of self. The only mirror that will ever give you a healthy estimation of yourself, James chapter 1 talks about the mirror of God's word. And so, 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 so this is how most of us define our lives. We define our lives by what we expect others to do in response to us. Listen to me. If these people bow to me, then I must be something and I must be somebody. But what if nobody ever bows to you another day in your life? Are you still worth something? Listen to me. There are people, and we know this from history, who lose a job, lose a title. I ain't that crazy. Because of a stinking job to jump out a window? The devil is a lie. You are so much more than the house you live in. Or the car you drive. And most of us define our lives by others' response to us. I'm worth something, and I ain't going to let it rest until that one dude bows to me. 
about all the other people that bind to you? That ain't enough. And notice, he goes a step further. He goes a step further. And he says, because this guy won't bow to me, it's not enough just for me to take him out. I'm going to take him and all his people out. Remember the consequences of disobedience to God. Haman knows the history that he has with Jews. And because Saul didn't obey God and do what God instructed him to do, now Haman is about to do to the Jews what God instructed the Jews to do to Haman's people. Your disobedience to God will outlive and outlast you. Now here's the second thing. Pride is insecurity playing dress up. That's what most people do. Most people, yeah. Really insecure. And it often manifests right here like Haman. But there's tremendous insecurity at the root of it all. But here's the second thing. Uh, I've seen several of you post this this week. Uh, It's by Toby Mack, a quote from Toby Mack, who is a contemporary Christian recording artist. He said, look, man, if you don't like someone, dislike them alone. Don't recruit people to join in your cause. If me and you got beef, let it stay right here. But don't get all your friends to support your cause. So now this is what you're about to do. The issue is with, it's with Haman. And if we're not careful in how we do relationships, we will recruit people to join our cause against someone who ain't done nothing to you. They have done nothing to you. But you have joined in the cause of someone who is now offended because someone wouldn't bow to them. Now you're taking up their cause. And you're mad at somebody. And the person, they never, they never said a cross word to you. Never, but you hate them. You despise them. Because you have joined the cause of Haman. And this unfortunate thing is Haman can be found in the seats of every church every Sunday morning. Can I just say one more thing and I'll turn it over to you? Listen to me. Here's the danger. Here's the danger. Uh... Here's the danger of insecurity. God has called us to love. That's where we started this series. But if my actions toward another are driven by an agenda, it becomes counterproductive. But here's the challenge, the curious challenge of the call to love. Threefold. Number one, we can only love others. Oh, let me put it this way. We can only love God to the degree that we understand how deeply we are loved by God. I can only love God to the degree that I understand how much I am loved by God. That's where we derive our sense of value and self-worth. Not from the fickle opinions of men. Number two, number two, here's the second thing. We can only love our neighbor to the degree that we have learned to love ourselves. 
if we don't understand that, the third thing happens. Because until we learn to love ourselves in a healthy way, this is what's going to happen. We too will become Haman. If you and I don't learn how to love ourselves in a healthy way, two things will happen. First thing, you're going to compare. Second thing, you're going to compete. Are y'all listening to what I'm saying? If you don't love who God made you to be, all your curves and all your edges, all your perfect imperfections, if you don't learn to embrace that, what is going to come out of you, your soundtrack, the soundtrack of your life, your life song will be comparison and competition. The problem with comparison is there's always going to be somebody who's doing better than you. And there's always going to be people who ain't doing as good as you are. Again, comparison will produce an inflated sense of self or a deflated sense of self. And then the competition. The competition. Notice what 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12 says, and then it's all yours. We do not dare to classify 2 Corinthians 10 and 12 from the NIV. It says we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. Listen to what it says. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. Scripture says, if I am given to competition and comparison, I'm not wise. Are y'all with me? So at the root of what is about to happen, it looks like Haman's a strong dude. But once again, pride is insecurity playing dress up. So he's about to annihilate an entire nation of people because of this one issue he has with Haman or Mordecai and the issue is this dude won't bow to me. Because I've allowed whether or not someone bows to me to define me. What if you don't bow to me? I can keep it moving. That's all you have to do, right? But most of us, man, when that, that insecurity sets in, it becomes our life mission. I'm talking to people in this room right now. It becomes our life mission to make sure at some point, somehow, Mordecai going to bow to me. Mordecai is going to bend to what I want and what I need. I'll let you, there's so much more I could say. But I'll let, <laughs> but I'll let you, I'll let you go. Listen to this. I got to say this before I move on. Yeah, you're doing great. Listen to me. Uh, God's sweet spot. Somebody say sweet spot. God's sweet spot. Somewhere between an inflated ego and a deflated sense of self is something Isaiah calls quiet confidence. If you got to announce it to everybody, if you got to make sure everybody's tooting your horn and blowing it, 
No, the scripture calls it quiet confidence. Let me just read this to you. <laughs> listen, listen, you ain't got to. Listen, when you, you, when you understand that you are loved by God, you ain't got to, you ain't, you don't have to try to convince nobody, impress nobody. All you have to do is just show up. Listen to what the scripture says. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15. I'm going to read it from two translations. Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 15. I'm going to read it from the NLT and from the message. It says, this is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. Only in returning to me, Isaiah 30, 15 from the New Living Translation. Only, listen, he says, only. He says, only. The only way this will happen, only in returning to me and resting in me will you be saved. Notice what it says. In quietness and confidence is your strength, but you would have none of it. God is saying to his people, this is what you need. Rest in me. Ah, I don't want that. And the Lord said, no, this is what you need. No, nah, I don't want that. No, this is what you need. Rest in me. No, I don't want that. Notice how the message paraphrase puts it. It says, God the master, the holy one of Israel, has this solemn counsel. Your salvation requires you to turn back to me. Oh, and stop your silly efforts to save yourselves. Taking matters into your own hands like Haman did. I'm talking about our Haman heart. God says, stop your silly efforts to make a name for yourself, to save yourself. He says, your strength will come from settling down in complete dependence on me, the very thing you've been unwilling to do. Y'all hear that? God says, here's the, the answer to your, your insecurities. Here's the answer to the insecurities that have sabotaged your relationships. Rest in me. Find rest in me. No, nope, I don't want that. The only thing that's going to fill me and fulfill me is when Mordecai bows. And we're asking people to fulfill us in ways that only God can. All right. Pastor Wendy. All right, we're going to bring we're going to pick up in verse 7 real quick. It says, so in the month of April, during the, during the 12th year of King Xerxes' reign, lots were cast in Haman's presence. The lots were called Purim. Everybody say witchcraft. Witchcraft. To determine the best day and month to take action. And the day selected was March 7th, nearly a year later. So the people weren't praying. Uh, they were casting lots. And so lots today would be uh, equivalent to looking to the horoscope, having your palm read, um, all of that hokey pokey stuff that does not look to the sovereignty of God. And so we want to be careful from opening yourselves up to, you know, playing games Let when we let our kids go to sleepovers and somebody's like, let me take out this Ouija board. That's witchcraft. You're opening up yourself 
to uh, a spirit realm, which will not do you good in the end. But that is not this sermon. So I just wanted to give you a little nugget to put in your back pocket. Verse 8. Then Haman approached King Xerxes and said, There is a certain race of people scattered throughout the providences of your empire who keep themselves separate from everyone else. Their laws are different from those of any other people, and they refuse to obey the law of the laws of the king. Everyone say lies. So he's generalized. Now he has he's sensationalizing and uh, exaggerating what the truth is. Because Mordecai won't bow to him. He's saying that all these people, they will not obey the laws of the king. He could also go into the bad news bears category, Haman. So it is not in the king's interest to let them live. And we can go back to to if you dislike someone, don't get somebody to join into your cause. And so what we look at, when we look at our Haman heart, as I read this story, I had gone over this a couple years ago. Actually, this probably about 2015, I went back and looked at my notes. I don't know why I was reading Esther or studying it, but that is kind of what I thought about my Haman heart. Because I can have a stronghold with respect. And uh, meaning if I feel disrespected, that could really, really, like really throw me. And no, I know absolutely cognitively that nobody owes me any kind of respect. But especially when it is the realm of church and working with people and I practice my approach, I go to my husband, I pray, I go to outside Bible studies. So in my mind, again, I can you can have an inflated self of a sense of self. I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to approach this the right way. And then when people are themselves in which I deem disrespect, man, whoo. I have to like eat a couple of little mini Snickers and and go talk to Pastor Ray. And so in looking this in 2015, I was looking at, okay, I'm going to be healthy and not just say they said this and they did this. What is it in me that has such a root of, okay, if I'm nice to you, then you be nice to me and don't talk crazy to me. Why can't I just love? Why can't we just deal with it on the surface? Why are my feelings getting hurt? Why am I getting offended? And so this dealing with, and I can't look at Haman and say, oh, he was so arrogant. This story actually, it just turns me to say, "Mm, let me look at the Haman in my own heart. And so what we see from Haman is Haman was a man of deep, strong, unhealthy emotions. You can have deep, strong emotions, But Haman had deep, strong, unhealthy emotions that is not only going to cost him, it's going to cost everyone that knows him and a whole lot of people that don't know him. And so examining my own heart, what are the things I'm saying and doing? How are they affecting Levi and Nia? How how is my sense of self and how I operate in the day-to-day Shaping their world. How is my sense of self bringing glory to the name of Jesus in which I profess? Are the attitudes that I have and the words that I say, is that drawing people closer to Christ? Or is it saying, "Mm, see, that's why I don't do that church thing. 
And so examining my own Haman heart. In all of this, because I'd studied this before, we're going to f- go ahead to Esther 5. Are y'all, are y'all tracking so far? Okay. In Esther 5, v- verse 9, Esther chapter 5, verse 9, it says in the New King James Version, So Haman went out that day joyful and with a glad heart. Have you ever just started, and it's just a good day? Come on. Your hair is good. Your fluffy parts aren't showing. Your feet don't hurt. I mean, it's a good day. Matt Counter had your lip gloss. It wasn't sold out. I mean, it's everything is going really well. Hang with me. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate and that he did not stand or tremble before him, he was filled with indignation against Mordecai. Now, let me tell you what's going on. Haman is skipped to Malu, coming from a banquet with Esther and King Xerxes. And he's feeling good about himself because Esther only invited Haman and King Xerxes. Everybody say the setup. And so they have this banquet. So he leaves and he is feeling good about himself. He's like, yeah, she ain't even asked nobody else. Be gone, Vashti. I'm with the king. I'm with the queen. Everybody's bowing to me. He is happy. His belly is full. He's been drinking. And as soon as he saw Mordecai, it all left. Has that ever happened to you? Everything is going all good. And all you have to do is see something more specifically, somebody, and then all the joy just takes wings and fly away. Mordecai hadn't done anything to him, hadn't said anything to him. All Xerxes saw was a belly full of food and a little bit of, you know, liquor in him. I don't drink liquor, but I hear it could just work everything all right. His emotions are so unhealthy that the food and the liquor not even working. It says he became filled with rage. It didn't say he became filled with rage. He said filled with indignation. You know what indignation is? It is like anger with rage and a pouty, funky attitude and just a baby tantrum that falls out on the outside. It is, you know when people be like, oh, no, I just, I can't even, oh, I'm a, man, I just, it's, that's indignation. <laughs> It's a straight up unnecessary. Just You can have a righteous indignation. It don't even make you turn like that. When you have righteous indignation, you just stand back on your right foot and you just like, mm-hmm, okay. And you lift your eyebrows up. And on the inside of you, you think, I got something for that. See, that's righteous indignation when you could just stand in a piece of God and just be like, <laughs> if you come for me, I'm going to show up. You're not saying it on the outside. You're just on the inside. Oh, you know how they used to say, oh, don't come for me lest I send you. No, in 2020, if you come from me, I'm going to be there. Right, right, right. So righteous indignation, you could, just, you could just be there. But when you are just filled with indignation, you just have a whole just fit. All right. Let's go on to verse 10. However, he restrained himself and went home. Everyone say the plot. Now he's happy and now he's having a fit, but he restrained himself. You know what caused him to restrain himself when we have unhealthy 
understand I can't say when he has or when you have. When we, because I'm in that pot, when we have unhealthy emotions, he wasn't restrained because he was all that good. He was restrained because he didn't have an audience. So good. See, when we, we, we need, you, when it says misery loves company. Come on. And so he wouldn't have had anybody. It was just going to be him and Mordecai. Mordecai might have been able to, you know, take it on. He still wasn't going to bow. He didn't have an audience. It doesn't say that in the scripture, but being delivered and still working through unhealthy emotions. Sometimes when you call that person to talk to them to say, hey, I'm having this issue. You're not really calling for counsel. You're calling because you just want somebody to be on your side. I know somebody just like that. We're just not going to mention her name, but she's been there before. When you call to get help or even you will even pay for some help and you really not wanting them to say well have you thought about how you responded or have you considered your approach no you don't want to hear you want somebody to say you did the right thing I can't believe they did that to you did so you handled that so well that's right I wouldn't talk to them ever again just walk away just don't you don't have to put up with that that's what we really seek sometimes when we start out when we keep posturing ourselves to get help it does sink in. And even if it's somebody else's fault, boundaries, healthy boundaries come in. But so Haman, he restrained himself. Anybody filled with indignation is really unable to restrain themselves. He just didn't act right then because he didn't have an audience. He didn't have anybody to cheer him on. He didn't have anybody stroke his eagle and agree with his foolishness. It says, then Haman gathered together his friends and Z, his wife, Zeresh, his wife, and boasted to them, happy, indignant, but now I'm going to get my crowd to feed the monsters inside of me. Right. He gets a crowd and his wife, his number one cheerleader, and, said, and then he boasts to them about the great wealth and his many children, he bragged about the honors the king had given him and how he been, had been promoted to over all the nobles and officials. What did that got to do with the banquet and Mordecai? He didn't get them together to say, hey, let's plan a cruise. I'm feeling good about things are going well for me. I've got this promotion. I got a bonus check. Let's do something. He gathered them all together to brag about himself. Not say, thank you for helping me, and oh, my wife, you're just so good. Mm -mm. He's he bragging to his wife about all the kids he has. And bringing his friends to brag to them about all he has, but they already know that because they're his friends. Yeah. The, the, the reason for Hey, that. hey, hey. <laughs> hey. Wow. Wow, you shut that down quick. I'm just going to say one thing. You say it didn't work. Say your one thing. Quiet, let me, let me quiet confidence. Yeah. Quiet I'm just gonna confidence. Say one, one thing, baby. Okay. Let me tell you why he does this. Uh, because insecurity can only thrive in an environment where there is an audience of enablers. Enablers. These are the people who won't challenge you on your foolishness. These are the people, like Pastor Wendy said, who will, who will, yeah, feed the monsters in you. Now, how do I know that I've become an enabler? I have become an enabler when helping you is hurting me. 
and there's some enabler sitting in this room right now. And because you are an enabler, you have created an environment where these insecurities, where Haman can take root. You ain't helping them. You're driving them further and further into their insecurity, and they need you to feed it because you entertain their bragging and their boasting. And you don't allow them to confront themselves. Are y'all with me? I'm talking about interpersonal relationships. I'm talking about people who wrestle with insecurity and those of us who enable them. That's all I got to say. For now. This is what I came up with. This is what I found in my notes from 2015. I am so amazingly blessed. However, reading these passages, Esther 5, I feel the pull to examine, to pull to examine, I messed up with that, the Haman parts of my own heart. So this is a question I asked myself in my notes. All of this is worth nothing to me as long as, and then I can fill in the blank with my own insecurities, my own disappointment, or my own current frustration if I'm not careful to guard my heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Hebrews 12.15 says, look after each other. Everyone say accountability. So that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. It can start in you and it can corrupt so many. We've seen that. Psalm 73, 21 through 24 in the New Living Translation says this. Then I realized that my heart was bitter and I was all torn up inside. I was so foolish and ignorant. I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you. Yet I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to glorious destiny. And as we close, I ask you, what is your as long as? See, we don't have to just say, I've got a Haman heart and leave it right there. We can see right here from the scripture. This is uh, not David writing this particular scripture in Psalm 73. It was Asaph that was writing the scripture. He is telling and crying out to the Lord. Oh, I was so foolish and ignorant. Ignorant means without knowledge. I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you. If we look at Haman's actions, we're like, that's so immature. It's so senseless. And when I'm not pointing fingers and hiding behind Haman, I can look at myself and see how insecurity, the manifestation of it in my life and in my attitude, makes me look like a little wild animal. Seeing a bunch of little kitty cats just running around in a circle and pawing each other and just looking silly. It looked cute for a little bit, and then it's just too much after a while. And that's how we can look. But that's not where God leaves us. He's not sitting back judging us. He's not being indignant. Look at what the scripture says. Yet I still belong to you. You hold my right, even in our foolishness. Have you ever seen a little kid having a tantrum in the mall or something? 
The parent don't just get their stuff and walk off and leave the baby there. The parent will pick it up, still hold it, knowing they don't like it. It's just a season. And love and nurture. They can spank the child. Is spanking the child going to make it stop crying? Mm-mm. But parents with wisdom scoop that baby up, and they leave them all. Because there's going to be a day when that's not going to happen. That's what, God love, that's what God's love looks like for us. Is even with our Haman hearts yeah. and attitudes, he's just scooping us up, setting us in a place where we can receive it. He's going to make sure it comes in our bite size portion. And he's not going to leave us or forsake us. There is the promise right there. You guide me with your counsel. You lead me to a glorious destiny. We can look at Jeremiah uh, 29, 11. I know the thoughts I have of you, say of the Lord. Those thoughts are good thoughts. Thoughts to do you good and not to do you harm. To give you a future you hope for. That's the love of God. But as we close today, let's look at what is our as long as. Good. As long, as long as she don't say nothing to me, we'll be good. <laughs> as long as he don't roll up and talk like he don't know who I am, we'll be good. What is our as long as? Yeah. But if we can uproot the Haman in our heart, humble ourselves, get our security from God, how much more? It says that the, the, the blessing of the righteous falls for a thousand generations. It says, but those that dishonor the Lord, it says there will be calamity to your third and fourth generations. There are benefits to just keeping it moving and having quiet confidence in God. Yeah. Wasn't that awesome? Phenomenal. We're discovering what our life song sounds like. Our life song is the soundtrack of our life. When people experience you, what do they hear? What's the sound? What's the song? What's the disposition of your life? Uh, today we took time to talk about uh, Haman and his life song was insecurity that led to really destructive behaviors. But as we close, we want to pray. And this is why I just want to take a moment to pray. I think Pastor Wendy said it last week and she said it well. That we need to be careful to rush to judgments about other people. Because when we see toxic behavior, sometimes the first step is simply to know their story. And when we get to know their story, what usually fills our hearts for that person is great compassion. For that insecure person that is acting out, even for Haman, simply knowing their story can radically transform how you respond to them. And I'm just going to read this. We'll let you go. The insecure person, this is uh, from an article on psychology that I read. This is what they said. They said the insecure person lives in fear because they don't think they're good enough. That's what's at the root of that person that you're experiencing who's battling with insecurity. They feel, they believe in their own head, everybody's judging me. Because I'm not good enough. That's at the root of all of this. That's why Haman had to go to his enablers and say, 
I've got to be good enough. I got all this money. I got all these children. I've got all this title. But on the inside, he didn't believe it for himself. So today, if you find yourself in that place, here's, here's the bottom line. The antidote to all of our insecurities is to believe and receive the fact that God says three words. You are enough. You are enough. You are enough with or without the title, with or without the position. You are enough. And so, Father, we come to you now in the name that is above every other name, the mighty matchless name of Jesus. And God, if we're honest before you in this. We hope that you enjoyed today's message. Remember to stay connected with us on our website, weareconverge.com, or on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at We Are Converge. You can also partner with us financially by giving safely and securely online at weareconverge.com backslash give. Thank you and God bless.